0: Good evening, good to be in the house of the Lord tonight, and thankful for the opportunity I have uh, to be able to worship with you tonight, and Lord willing, uh, this week. Um, I, I've never, I've given a devotion here at the minister school, but I've never preached here, uh, and so uh, I'm just excited to be able to be with you all, um, I think I know most of you, some of you I don't. Um, but I've always had a great love for this people and this place, and uh, I'm just encouraged and excited to be able to worship the Lord with you. Um, I was encouraged by the preliminary comments that your pastor gave uh, about having a glimpse of the eternal things. And I thought of Paul there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, who said, "...for we look not at the things which are seen, for they are temporal, but we look at the things which are unseen, for they are eternal." And he was in a time of persecution in his own life. And yet, as he got a glimpse of the eternal, despite he was going through what he was going through, he said, my outer man perishes, but my inner man is renewed day by day. And as he started to compare what he was going through in the moment to what God had in store for him in eternity, he called it a moment of light affliction. (laughs) It was harder than anything I've ever thought of. And when he compared it to what God had in store for him in glory, he couldn't refer to it anything other than a moment of light affliction. Uh, Thankful for that, and I do pray that God would give us a glimpse of the eternal things, the things that matter above all else. And uh, just pray that God would help us in that way. I want to share the message that God has put on my heart, and nothing more or less tonight. And so do pray for me uh, as I try to deliver God's Word. If you have a Bible with you tonight... Uh, We're going to take a reading from the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. encourage you to follow along with us as we read. Um, In the 15th chapter, somewhat of a lengthy reading, uh, and so I do ask for your patience and attention as we read. We're also going to read just one verse in the book of Romans, Romans 4.25. Uh, We're going to read in Mark first, and then we'll just uh, read that one verse in Romans Title of my message tonight is Christ Crucified. Christ Crucified. Mark chapter fifteen. We're going to begin reading in verse sixteen. This is Mark's account of the crucifixion of Jesus, and I pray God would bless the reading of His Word tonight. Mark fifteen, verse sixteen. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns, and put it upon his head. And began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross." Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes He saved others himself he cannot save let Christ the king of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe and they were crucified with and they that crucified with him reviled him and when the sixth hour was come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And we're going to end our reading there. Uh, and if you would, I'd like to just bow in a, a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight so grateful for your word. Lord, we understand it to be a spiritually discerned book. And so though it lives and is powerful and is sharper than a two-edged sword, our prayer, Lord, is that your Holy Spirit would take it and make it alive in us. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us ears to hear, give us minds that will understand, and give us hearts that are softened to the movement of your Holy Spirit. And God, cause us in considering the death of your Son to respond appropriately that your children would praise you and that those that are lost and in their sins would see you for who you are and would see themselves for who they are and that they would go to you, Lord, as the only answer for their greatest need. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name. We can do nothing without you. And so we fall at your feet and ask you to just bless this service for your glory In the name and for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The message of the cross, or the preaching of the cross, Paul said, to them who perish is foolishness. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God. He said there's two people. Those that, as they consider the message of Jesus Christ and His crucifixion, Uh, They believe it to be foolishness. They believe it to be religious myth created to make people feel good or or whatever the case may be. You've probably heard many people, even in your circles of influence, criticize and mock and, and talk about the foolishness of this religious account of Jesus. To those of us that are saved, Paul said, it is the power of God. We understand that if it wasn't for this day on Golgotha, none of us would have any hope. Not a one of us would be saved today if it wasn't for what Christ did on the cross. I'm thankful today for what Jesus did. It's hard sometimes to read about the details of it, and yet I know that I stand. Uh, The only assurance I have is because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. Why did Jesus die? Why did He have to go? Some of us know the details and have read the accounts of the Gospels of Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, And yet, some of us may not understand why that had to take place. What bearing does this man Jesus' death on the cross have to do with my life? In this year, at this time, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, what does this account have to do with me? And I hope today that God will make that clear to our hearts. The first thing I want to do is make sure that we understand what went on and just summarize some of the things that took place. I don't think I'm going to be sharing anything. I know I'm not going to be sharing anything new with you today. I remind my congregation often that it's the minister's job not to share something new with them, but to share those things that they should never forget. And tonight I share with you things that many of you, if not most of you, know and yet, they are the most important things, and that we should never forget. Amen. In Mark chapter 15 is where we read. Uh, I'm going to turn back to the 14th chapter. Uh, we're going to kind of summarize some of the things here uh, that took place as we consider the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm not going to read it all, but we'll summarize some things. In Mark 14, uh, beginning in the 32nd verse, down to about the 42nd verse we see Jesus in agony. Jesus in agony. It's the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane where the Lord is earnestly praying to His Father and crying out to Him and saying, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from Me. As the weight and reality, the bitter cup of what He was about to partake on the cross was right before His eyes and right before His heart, It weighed on him. He was in great distress. He was in agony. He told his followers there in verse 34, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful unto death. In Luke's account, he said, Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. And so we get this description in Scripture of the distress, the agony, how Christ was overwhelmed in the consideration of the bitter cup that He would partake here in just a little while. He was distressed and overwhelmed. And in that, we see the humanity of Jesus Christ. Some people have a hard time with the deity of Christ, that he was fully God. But the Bible is uh, so clear and makes it so evident that Jesus was God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He could speak and the elements would listen. He could uh, speak and sins would be forgiven. He could heal and he'd do miracles proving that he was the son of God. And so much of what we see of Jesus depicts him as fully God. Some have a hard time seeing Him less than human. And yet, Christ came. He emptied Himself. And He uh, came in the form of man. He wrapped around His deity, humanity. And He was both fully God and fully man. And we see Him in the garden, His humanity on display. In distress and in agony. And I don't know about you, brother and sister, but... This almost gives us like the okay to experience distress in our own lives. Jesus experienced it. He was in agony and crying to the Father. And we can be in agony and distress. When we're tempted to ask the question, does anyone care about us? We can rest assured that the distressed Christ cares about us. When we ask ourselves, does anyone care? Has anyone known what I have gone through? We can rest assured that Christ understands. His agony was far greater than what we can imagine. Our circumstances are never the same. And yet here we see the humanity of Christ in His distress. The Hebrew writer spoke of this. About our great high priest, he said, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So Christ in the garden was in distress and in agony. As we get to the 43rd verse, we see that Jesus is betrayed. He is betrayed. Judas, one of the twelve, betrayed him. What did he betray him for? Money, He betrayed Jesus Christ for money. He was betrayed by an enemy. Judas was an enemy of Christ. And yet Judas appeared to so many as a friend. And we're shown in this that there can be people that appear to be the friends of Christ. People that appear to be Christians and yet their hearts are far from God. Judas betrayed him for money. He kissed him and betrayed him. We read down further again in this account, and we see him forsaken and denied. Verse 50 of chapter 14 says, and they all forsook him and fled. Just reading that out of context, you might think that was talking about any person, but what it's talking about was those that were closest to him. When they came and took Jesus and arrested Him, and and that all went uh, down. It says that those that were closest to Him, His disciples that had learned unto Him and followed Him, they forsook Him and they fled. As opposed to suffering with Christ by His side, they all forsook Him and fled. He was denied. We're familiar with Peter, who was the most boisterous of those that followed Christ would often put his foot in his mouth. He had the most uh, bolsterous claims, and yet his flesh was weak. When Christ revealed that he would deny him, Peter said, Oh no, no, Jesus, I will never deny you. I will go with you to the end and boldly proclaim that he would be by Christ's side. But we see in the context of Jesus being beaten and spit upon that that wasn't the case Verse 65 of chapter 14, And some began to spit on him, and to cover his face, and to buffet him, and to say unto him, Prophesy! And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming uh, himself, she looked upon him and said, "Uh, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied. We know that he would go on to deny him more than just that. He would deny Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the restoring power of the Lord? Because when you go and you read the writings of Peter in 1 Peter, it tells, Peter tells us to always be ready to give an answer to all those would ask about the hope that lies within us. He says, always be ready. And you're reading that and you're like, that's Peter? Come on now, right? Well, uh, Is Peter just a hypocrite? Clearly he wasn't ready when the moment of trial came. He denied the Lord and failed the Lord in a miserable fashion. And yet here we see Peter later on writing to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to always be ready to give an answer. We see Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, Christ crucified and resurrected with boldness and empowered by the Spirit of God. We see Him before the Sanhedrin court saying, you crucified Him. What happened between a Peter here that denied Him and forsook Him to the Peter that went out and gave His life proclaiming the truths of Christ crucified and resurrected? Oh, it was the restoring love and mercy of the Lord. (laughs) You you Bible readers know the account of Him calling Him in from fishing and, and talking to Him. And he asks him that question Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, Feed my sheep. You know the account, and it goes on three times, and we could get into the depth of that. But what we see in the denial of, of Jesus here by Peter is that the Lord is loving and merciful. And though they scattered, he said, I would go before you in Galilee. And he would call them and restore them and use them. And I'm thankful today that even in our greatest failings before the Lord, that he loves his own and that he will restore his own and that he will use his own And so if anyone here tonight may sit and think that they have disqualified themselves from doing a work for God, He loves you. He is patient with you. He can restore you and use you for the advancement of His kingdom. (laughs) So we see Him in agony. We see Him betrayed. We see Him forsaken and denied. And we see Him mocked. We get up to the portion of Scripture that we read in chapter 15. First we see him mocked by the soldiers. They made a great scene of him. They took his clothing and they wrapped him in purple robes. The clothing of royalty. They didn't do this out of respect of who he was or what he would do for them, but they did it because they were mocking him. Because those called him the king of the Jews. And so they put him in royal apparel They clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns, and they placed it upon his head. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Mocking him, hitting him in the head, spitting on him, and bowing before him, mockingly worshiping him as king. (laughs) They weren't alone in the mocking. We see that uh, the bystanders were even mocking him. In verse 29 it says, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Oh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. They railed on him and they mocked his very words that Jesus had said. They had heard the things that he said, but they didn't understand the things that he said. Because He did talk about the temple that would be torn down and rebuilt in three days. But what Jesus was talking about was the temple of His body. He was telling them that He would give His life and lay it down for us. And that in three days, He would take it up again. And yet, here they are taking Him to the cross in fulfillment of what He said would take place. And the bystanders wagged their heads and railed on Him and mocked His words. Oh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Well, you might think that the religious folks would at least have the decency not to join the crowd mocking him. And yet we see that the priests and the scribes joined in in the mocking. Likewise, also, verse 31, the chief priests mocking said amongst themselves with the scribes, he saved others. Himself He cannot save. Listen to this now, verse 32. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. (laughs) You see, what they didn't understand is that they would never see and believe, and none of us would ever ever see and believe unless Christ stayed on the cross. Right? They're saying, come down, show us this great miracle. If we see it, we'll believe. But the reality of the matter is, unless Christ stayed and remained willingly giving His life for us and for them, none of us would ever see and believe. And they mocked Him. They ridiculed Him. And yet Christ hung there and died. We see Him mocked and then we see Him crucified There's no great exaggerations or build-up about His crucifixion. It was the cruel, hard death that it was. It was not unique just to Jesus. We see that there were two others being crucified with Him. It was a common form of Roman torture. It was horrible. But we understand that it wasn't just merely the physical suffering that Christ went through on the cross. But that did not even compare to the spiritual and emotional suffering that Christ would experience on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Christ suffered the penalty of sin in our place and experienced the wrath of God against sin, sin that He had never committed on that cross. He is crucified and He was numbered with the transgressors, it says. There were two that were crucified with him, Luke uh, expounds on his account of the those that were crucified with him. Uh, in Matthew, we see that they both, at one point, were railing on Jesus. Both of those that were hung with Christ on both sides railed on him and mocked him. And yet, we see in Luke that at some point along the line, one of those thieves came to his senses. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. I have the slightest idea that it's the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can take hardened hearts that are hardened to Christ and the message of the cross and He can break them. He can show them their need and show them their Savior. Because at one point this man that was once railing on Him looked over at his buddy and he says, Hey man, what are we doing, right? We're here justly for the things that we've done. We're facing the punishment of the sins that we have committed and yet this man in the middle, this man between us has done nothing wrong. And in a moment of the realization of his own sins and condemnation and in the moment of realization of the righteousness of the man that hang between him, he looked at the man on the middle cross, Jesus, (laughs) and he said, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Listen, do you think that man had a perfect understanding of the doctrines of theology? Do you think he knew all about the doctrine of justification and uh, all of the things that God lays out beautifully in his scripture? I thought. I think he had a very little understanding of those things. But that man on the cross understood his condition before the Lord and the righteousness of Jesus. And in the most simple words he can imagine, he said, Lord, remember me. And Christ answered him, oh, he remembered him. (laughs) Yeah, he would go one step further. He said, today you shall be with me in paradise. (laughs) Are you thankful that the Lord hears the prayers of the ignorant? Are you thankful that the Lord hears the prayers of the imperfect and the sinners? Those of us that don't have it all figured out and can't quote all the Scripture and we don't know all the big ideas of theology and yet we know that we are sinners before God and that Christ is righteous. He will answer the prayer of the honest heart that cries out, remember me. If you're lost here today, Jesus wants to save you. He's waiting for you to call. To him, we see Jesus crucified there, numbered with the transgressors. (laughs) Then we see him buried. Joseph of Arimathea, he comes. He's a man of some wealth, clearly, to have the tomb that he had. And a courageous question, going to Pilate and asking for the body of Jesus. So he comes to him and asks for the body of Jesus. And Pilate's response is one of marvel. He was amazed that Jesus had already died. We didn't read it uh, earlier, but in verse 40, uh, 44, after uh, Joseph of Arimathea asks for the body of Jesus, it says, And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. So as our Joseph of Arimathea goes, requests the body of Jesus, Pilate says, Is he already dead? He's amazed by that. And so he calls over the centurion, the Roman centurion. And if anyone knew death, it was that Roman centurion. That's what he did for a living. He had seen people dead. He was a good judge of knowing when someone was dead and when they were not. And so Pilate calls the centurion and asks him. He asked him whether he had been any while dead. Verse 45, and when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And so the centurion verified that Jesus of Nazareth was dead. He was crucified on that cross. They pierced his side with that spear. Blood and water came forth and he gave his life on Calvary's cross. He died. The centurion confirmed it and he gave the body. And they took him to that tomb and they buried him and rolled a stone before it. now in the book of Romans I don't think I said I was going to read it and then I didn't so we'll read it now but just one verse in the book of Romans as we now have an understanding hopefully of the summary of what took place and certainly we didn't cover it to any depth but hopefully an overarching understanding of the things that took place I want us to understand why again what does that have to do with me I see these things, and I understand these things, and I read this history of Christ and His crucifixion and burial, but what does that do with me today? In a very succinct yet profound summary of Christ's death on the cross, Paul writes in Romans, who, speaking of Jesus, was delivered for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification. (laughs) He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I just want to look at that verse for a moment as we describe the why of why Jesus died there on the cross. First of all, it tells us that He was delivered. He was delivered. Sometimes we make the mistake of painting Jesus as a helpless victim. Right? But the reality is is that Jesus was never a helpless victim. He was delivered and willingly gave Himself in our place. John 3.16, the most quoted uh, verse in the Bible, most well known. What does it tell us? For God so loved the world that what? He gave His only begotten Son. Right? God gave His Son. He delivered Him up for us. In 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 5-21, one of my favorite gospel verses. It says, He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Who is that? God made Him, made Jesus. God made Jesus sin for us who knew no sin. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. God delivered His only Son to die in our place. And Jesus, as He cried out in agony in the garden, considering the weight of what He would face, having to taste death for the sins of man, He cried out to God that this bitter cup would be delivered from Him. But He said, not My will be done, but Thine. And He became obedient to the will of His Father, who delivered Him up. And Christ went willingly to the cross to die in our place. He was delivered for what? For our offenses. For our sins. The story of the Passover in Exodus, I, I imagine most of you know the details of it. God's people were in bondage for hundreds of years. And God sent Moses to go and deliver his people from bondage. Remember, Pharaoh rejected all of those uh, requests for the people and God brought plagues upon them and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he wouldn't release the people until that last plague came. It was the death angel that would go throughout Egypt and kill the firstborn. Animals, Egyptians, Jews, the firstborn would die unless the blood of the Passover lamb was applied to the doorposts and to the lentils. And so God gave His people instructions to take a lamb without blemish and without spot and gave them rules and instructions about how to kill it and how to prepare it and to where to take the blood and to put it on the door. And on that night of the death angel passing through, God said if He saw the blood applied, He would pass over them. And that's exactly what happened. And in a very tangible, real sense... The lamb took the place of the firstborn there in Egypt. He was killed in the place of the firstborn. And as he saw that blood, he passed over them, and they were delivered or saved because of the blood of the lamb. You see, Jesus on the cross, and what we tried to summarize there in Mark, is our Passover lamb. Of a greater exodus. Not an exodus from the physical bondage of Egypt. But the exodus of us from the bondage of our sins. Christ died. He was delivered up for our transgressions. And in a very real way. He died in our place. He's our Passover lamb. He's our substitute. Christ he did not have to die, but He went willingly, delivered by the Father to die in our place. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He was raised again for our justification. So He was delivered. He was delivered for our offenses and He was raised. We didn't get to that part of the story. That's a glorious part of the story, is it not? You remember the Marys and the other women? We're going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus that had been placed in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And they went there. And they went, and when they got there, if you remember, the angels of God appeared to them, those two men, and they asked them that question, "Why seek ye the living? Excuse me, why seek ye the dead amongst the living?" Let me go read it so I don't mess it up. In 24th chapter of Luke And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them, shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again." And so they went there without hope and they went there with fear and they didn't understand uh, the confusion of the day and of Jesus' death. And they went there uh, to look for that which was dead and he was alive. He was risen. Yeah. And they said unto him, they said, uh, those those men, those angels of God said to the women, do you remember his words? They Clearly thought back to when Jesus had spoken to them. And tried to make it very plain to them. The plan of God that would be carried out. That Jesus would be delivered up to be crucified. And on the third day he would raise again. And surely they must have. It says that they remembered that. What a moment that must have been when they thought of those words that they clearly didn't understand in the moment, right? They hadn't wrapped their minds and hearts around what was going to take place, though Jesus made it clear to them. But in that moment of that empty tomb and having seen Jesus crucified and knowing that he was dead and then coming upon that empty tomb and remembering the words and promises of Jesus... Oh, thanks be unto God that this wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a victim of the moment. This was Jesus fulfilling the divine plan of his father. He was finishing the work of God, the plan of redemption. He was raised and he defeated death and he defeated sin and he defeated Satan. And listen, death is the thing that so uh, paralyzes the world today. The thought of death. People don't want to think about it and they put it off and they try to do whatever they can to prevent that time. And that's all good in its place. But the reality is, is, that, is uh, that is the fate of all of us. We will all one day die. And the reality is that it doesn't have to paralyze us because there is one that has defeated death, that has been risen from it and we can defeat death in Him. He was raised for our justification to make us right with God. He was delivered up for our transgressions, and He was raised for our justification to make us right with God. You see, the beautiful thing is that on the cross, our sins were counted to the account of Jesus on the cross. He was without sin, perfect, righteous in every way. And yet upon the cross, our sins were accounted to Him. And in salvation, the Bible teaches us that our sins are forgiven. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. That there is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. But even greater than that, not only are our sins forgiven, but He doesn't just bring us back to square one, but the righteousness of Jesus is then accounted to our account. And one day we will stand before the judgment seat of God. And we will be righteous before Him. Unblameable, unreprovable in His sight. Not because we've done anything right or earned anything in the sight of God. But because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus that has been accounted to us. Amen. Amen. Sinner, you can be forgiven today wholly and completely. The weight of your sins can be removed. You can find peace with God. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are undeserving of can be accounted to you. Amen. That's our message today. If we could get a song ready, I'd like to give an invitation. There may be some here that are lost and, and, and have never considered what it is that Christ has done for them. Or, or it is hitting your heart in a different way tonight. That God is reaching out to you and He is drawing you and He is meeting you where you are. If you feel a need tonight, the only answer is in Jesus Christ. Amen. He's done the work that's necessary for our salvation. And now he stands with open arms and he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, all that Christ accomplished on the cross has no bearing on us until we are in Jesus Christ. Until we are forgiven in him. And he calls you to himself tonight and he draws you into himself. Would you turn your eyes to Jesus tonight is our plea. Let's have that song.